0: should be a fun time. One more announcement that we need to make is Tuesday night, this coming Tuesday night, um, there's a South Alabama. Uh, many of you know we have a connection. Well, we've had many connections with South Alabama throughout the years, but one of the strongest ones is we, have a, we support uh, and have a large number of the medical ministry folks uh, here uh, with Dwayne Baxter and Alex Fox and Zach Carnes and their ministry and so uh, South has a rare Tuesday night game. Uh, they play Southern Miss, and they're going to have a big uh, tailgate. And um, they, they did it last year. A bunch of folks from the church came. And so this year, we, we're all inviting everyone to come, if you're able. Uh, come beforehand. They're, they're, we'll have information about where to come, and there'll be tailgate food um, opportunity. Even if you want to just come for the tailgate for a couple hours and then go home, certainly the game starts at 6, 6.30, something like that. I should know that detail. Uh, six or six thirty. A tailgating starts around four thirty or five o'clock. Hang out. Uh, we had a great time last year. Had a hundred and something folks. Great way to be together as a church. So, if you're able, Tuesday night they play Southern Miss. So it's a kind of a local game. Should be fun to uh, to support uh, South Alabama the medical ministry, and then just to enjoy enjoy time together as as the community of faith. Um, let me go to the Lord in prayer as we come to God's word. Father, we, uh, we come to you now in, in need, um, uh, un- unaware of the full depth of our need, but we are here. And so something in us says we need more than ourselves, that we are uh, in need of you to minister to us, to speak to us, to bring life and goodness and hope. And so, God, we pray that as we come to your word, you would do just that, that you would illumine the pages of scripture, the words, and you would uh, bring life to us. God, we, uh, we grieve, we grieve the, the tragedy, uh, the conflict in Israel and Palestine. God, if you've seen the, the videos, Lord, we, we watched them this week, and they're so uh, atrocious to see the the, the terrorist attacks last Saturday and Hamas and and now uh, all of Gaza being under attack and conflict and war and threats and hostages, Lord, it just seems too much to bear. It's easy to turn our head and think out of sight, out of mind and worry about our own world and yet we live in a world that is flailing and groaning with the impact of sin and devastation, God, and so we we just pray for your grace and mercy for all. We pray, God, you would uh, allow those prisoners to be released, the hostages. We pray for safety for the civilians. We pray for the end of the terrorist movements. We pray, God, for peace and stability. God, we know that as we see war, it makes us all long for a a, a just judge, a righteous king that will come and will rule the nations. God, we know you are that judge and that king, and yet, Lord, we see the the kicking and screaming of the evil one as he creates harm and havoc in our world. Oh God, we pray for comfort for the afflicted, for those who mourn. We pray for your nearness to all of your people, to brothers and sisters and missionaries in that part of the world. God, we pray for nearness. We pray for your nearness with us. We continue to pray for Tony Holiday. And His treatment and his his hospitalization, coming off of chemo again, and fluid off of his lungs. We pray for him. We pray for strength and for recovery, for full health. God, it seems like one step forward, two step back, we pray for his body to be strengthened, recovered. We pray for Diane as she cares so well for him. But, Lord, we know she's tired. We pray for strength. We pray for mercy. We pray... God, for her support, her perseverance, give her strength and give her rest. We pray for Buddy Hargrove now as he's in Rotary and rehabbing from his stroke. We ask you to strengthen him, to return to him his his abilities, his function, his balance, God, all the things that he was doing beforehand. God, would you allow him through the PT, the OT, to be recovered, his function, and Pray for Susie and family as they care for him and support him. May we support them. Would you strengthen them? Thank you for Cindy Sylvester, the office administrator, her recovery and from gallbladder surgery and then the complications. And thank you that she's back and feeling well. We ask for her full recovery. I know there are others that are suffering and ailing in our congregation. We ask for your care and touch to them. We ask not just a physical, but we pray for those emotional Marital, and financial, God, there are, there are needs. We're facing the, the economy. We, we feel it. People fear and stress and worry and doubt. We question your goodness. We, we wrestle with will you uh, provide, will you come through again? God, we pray you would ground us in the truth that you are the covenant-keeping faithful God and that you will be near your people. So we long for now your nearness, and your presence. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Uh, tell me what uh, what's in common. Um, Disney's Pinocchio, Herman Melville's famous Moby Dick, Daniel Defoe's famous work Robinson Crusoe, you familiar with that, even Disney's... Uh, Finding Nemo. What's the commonality? What's the common denominator? Come on, you know it's on the screen. A whale. whale. Or a great fish. Thank you for answering out loud. We need that. Good job, Jamie. By the way, if you don't know Jamie, Jamie's here with us. Let's cheer for Jamie, newly married to Brandon. Woo! (laughs) What an occasion. So we get to honor you. Thanks for saying. Well, the text doesn't tell us it was a whale. There's a great fish, probably a whale, Jamie, probably a whale, right? Uh, These are few, uh, but there are many. If you get a Google search, you would find pages and pages and pages of works that have uh, allusions, some minor, some strong, to the book of Jonah. We know uh, imitation is the highest form of flattery, and and so great works of literature have, have drawn from Jonah throughout history. And and drawn references, use them really the whole uh, theme in their work, or at least have alluded to it. And one of the reasons it's a great story, but another reason, this book of Jonah, as we begin today, is a work of uh, literary uh, excellence. Um, the the author masterfully uses language, and word plays, and irony, and repetition. uses uh, the display of climate and geography to make deep theological points. Um, it is a piece of literature that is studied by Christians and Jews and, and non-Christians and studied in literature departments uh, in higher education because it is so well put together. The way a, a modern director will use in movies, will use camera angles or music or lighting or the, 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 the costumes. The author of Jonah does that with words sets the stage so well by creating tension and suspense, drawing the reader in and asking what will happen, anticipate. It's masterful. It does so not just to be cute and to be uh, winsome, but to, to make deep theological points, and that's our interest. What do we learn from this great work? Of art, some have said, if, ironically, that it's so well put together and so well crafted that it clearly can't be true, right? Can't be original, as if God was not able to 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 use literature to his his liking, the one that created language. Others have said, and maybe you've thought this: we're talking about the great fish, the whale, that it must be can't be true because it's it's a fairy tale, right? We all know that it's a, it's a fish swallowing a person and spit them out and. Can we really believe this? That's cute. It's great to tell kids. Um, but do we really believe that actually happened? Uh, I would encourage you, if you're a Christian, that, um, to remind you that we believe in the resurrection of the dead. That means we believe Jesus died. There was no pulse. He, he was done in the grave and resurrected. So if you believe in that, a whale swallowing a person and vomiting them out three days later is not a stretch. We believe in the resurrection. So we're going to take this as a historical account that God has done in work. Would you stand as we read the first six verses of Jonah? This is God's word to us, his people. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amate, saying, Arise! Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty storm or tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each one cried to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper, arise, call to your God, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we know uh, familiar, disobedient prophet, uh, flees from the Lord, swallowed by a whale, spit out uh, on dry land, given a second chance, right? You know the storyline. Um, we're going to tell the story a little bit, go through it, and then we're going to draw some conclusions from it for our life. We're going to see some of those theological points that uh, that the author tries to make. First, it begins as a commissioning narrative for Jonah. Jonah is a prophet. The phrase says, now the word of the Lord came to. This line is repeated 110 times or so in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. This is what God uses to call a prophet, to begin a new section. He calls the prophet. The prophet's job was what? To take the word from God to the people. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He was called Commissioned divine word from God to deliver to the people. This is a typical way prophets work. Uh, scripture begins, and it begins here. Serious stuff. The prophet has a message from the Lord. And the Lord says very clearly, with uh, seriousness, uh, urgency, arise, literally, get up. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for evil has come up before me. Jonah, here's the words, come, get up, and go, serious, go, and two commands, call out, or some translations say go and condemn, bring judgment upon that great city of Nineveh. Why? Because the evil has come up. Before me now, Nineveh was uh, not the capital at this time of Assyria, but certainly the the hub, the the symbolic city of Nineveh. I mean, of, of Assyria, this growing power, and Assyria as a whole, and Nineveh in particular, was known for cruelty and brutality. And the image here that has come up to him is the idea that that Yahweh, the Lord, has has heard enough. That wickedness has built up, has, has, that Ninevites have recklessly created enough havoc, that the Lord has said enough. Um, history has inscriptions and artifacts and uh, different royal p- places and uh, things passed down through history, found through archaeological digs, have seen. Nineveh was very shameless. They would engraft descriptions of brutal murders and killing of their enemies, of of heads on sticks, on stakes. And they would would engraft these symbolism. They were shameless. They were exploiting their cruelty and brutality. And all of this, the Lord has said, enough. It's risen up. He's called the prophet to go. Before we pick on Jonah, we, we must say, Jonah's commissioning here as a prophet is unique in all of Hebrew prophecy. He is the only one, the only prophet that's ever been asked to go visit and then to preach to a foreign nation like Nineveh. Now, some prophets have spoken judgment on the nations. If you've read um, Obadiah, the book of Nahum, which is about Nineveh later. But the message is primarily to Israel and telling Israel, I'm for you, Because I'm going to destroy your enemies. I'm going to destroy the Edomites. I'm going to destroy the Ninevites. I'm going to destroy these people. But here the task is, Jonah, the prophet of the Lord, the prophet of Israel, I want you to go to these cruel pagan people with this message. It's unique to Jonah. So what happens? The text says, so. but, or so Jonah, it says, he got up. The Lord came suddenly, this is a message, so Jonah stands up suddenly and gets up, and at this point, you expect what? He's going to Nineveh. The prophet heard the call. The prophet stood up. The prophet's going, but he doesn't go. He rose up quickly to flee, to run away from the Lord's command, headed to Tarshish. I say Tarshish like four times reading it, and now I feel like I have this like list thing every time I say Tarshish. Can't say it. Try it a few times. See if if it happens to you. Um, Interestingly, Jonah is not the first prophet that has resisted the Lord's uh, commission. Elijah, at one point, was told to go and he he didn't. He resisted. Moses, remember, Moses was called, right? The burning bush, uh, go free my people from Egypt, from Pharaoh. You know, let my people go. And Moses says, I don't know. you know, resist, what am I going to say? Uh, what? Who do I say sent me? Uh, uh, the, the people won't believe me. And the Lord keeps giving him, and finally Moses says, okay. So Jonah is not the first to resist, but Jonah resists in a whole new way, doesn't he? <laughs> a whole new way. He rose up, he took off. You know, I, I told some of y'all uh, in our small group recently, the... Um, you know, we have a, 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 our little toddlers, two now, and, you know, two-year-olds say their favorite word is no, 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 right, over and over. But somewhere, our toddler, uh, Judah, he doesn't say no, but he learned no way, no way. So it's like, uh, eat your green beans first, no way. It's time to go to bed, no way. And he says it in this funny kind of way. I mean, it is like no stinking way, you know. It's this like blatant, I'm not doing it, no way. He doesn't know what he's doing, but it's hilarious. Sometimes ones you laugh, but you don't want him to see you're laughing because you don't want him to think it's funny to, to, to disobey, but he does. No way. Um, some of the prophets have wrestled with the calling. You know, They've, I don't know, what am I going to do? It's going to be difficult. But they've, they've engaged this dialogue, right? Jonah says, no stinking way. <laughs> he flees. I heard the message, boom, he's gone. He flees to Tarshish. See, it happened again. Um, We don't totally know where this place is located. Um, It's somewhere uh, to the west. Uh, If you're in uh, Israel there, uh, it's somewhere he got in a boat in the Mediterranean and went as far as he could. Likely, uh, Tarsus is in southern Spain. And so he got in the boat and he took off. He went west as fast as he could. And what we know about that is that it is the exact opposite direction from Nineveh. Nineveh's over here. He got in the boat and went over here. So if I said, hey, go to Atlanta, and then you said, okay, and you went and got in your car and you got on I-10 and started heading to New Orleans, right? It's Not towards Atlanta. It's the opposite direction. That's what Jonah does. And it says, it doesn't tell us, and we're going to try to hold it a little bit, it's hard to, his reasoning. It doesn't tell us the full motivation. But it says he wanted to get away from the presence of the Lord. Not that the prophet wants to get away from the presence of the Lord. It says it twice. Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah goes down. It's really... uh, westward but goes down geographically from up high in Jerusalem goes down to Joppa he finds a boat there Um, he pays for it to hire Jewish tradition says he didn't just pay a ticket like you know we're getting on a ferry and everybody pays that he actually had to pay for the boat like he had to pay for the voyage this is not a this is not something that happens all the time. Shifts are going back and forth across the Mediterranean. It would take three months, six months, sometimes a year. So Jonah had to literally hire the boat, a large portion of the boat, so he could immediately, It wasn't a flight next week, there was one now. i got to get out of here. Here's the money to get out of the presence of the Lord. Disobedience is costly in more ways than one, right? <laughs> Cost him. And then verse 4, the narrative shifts from Jonah to the Lord. Message comes suddenly. Jonah leaves suddenly. The Lord responds quickly. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest, a storm on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. As quickly as it came, most prophets verbally, uh, if they resist, they do it verbally. Jonah was nonverbal and just took off. And God says, okay, I'll raise you one. No words, just boom, a storm. The language says that he flung or he hurled a storm. Like a, the, the, the image is like of a divine warrior. Instead of picking up a spear to throw it, He takes the storm, the creation, and throws it at Jonah and the sailors. Now they're all fearful the storm is going to break up the boat. We'll stop there for today. This is as far as we're going to go. What do we learn? What do we learn from this passage? First thing um, I want you to see is that God is the sovereign Lord over all creation. Over all peoples, over all places, over all climate and weather. Um, there is a temptation among the pagan nations around Israel to see Israel's little God, Yahweh, is a local deity. You know, those have been to Africa, each tribe has their deity, or maybe go to India, different parts of Hindu, they have thousands, but they have their own local flavor. Um, that's not the story of Jonah. But we're tempted to believe in Christianity or we're told to believe in Christianity that our God through Christ is one of many. It's a particular way for us, probably because we're in the West, Jesus. It's a, it's a limited thing, but if you lived here, your, your, your deity would be here. Or if you lived in this part, it would be here. But here, the picture of Jonah is that he is the sovereign Lord over all the nations. Psalm 24.1 The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And this includes the powerful, cruel, brutal city of Nineveh, says that great city is a city that is accountable to the Lord. Um. In a few years, Sennacherib, the leader of Assyria, as Syria is growing in more prominence, will approach Israel to threaten it and to bargain with Israel against Judah and other nations. But here, years before, there's a, there's a, there's a turn, there's a twist, because the great God, <laughs> the great God has first approached the Ninevites. Before they would come, To the palaces of Israel, the king of Israel, the Lord Almighty, would go before Assyria with a message that you are accountable, the nations are accountable to Yahweh the Lord, the one true God. In chapter 3, it says Jonah, when he's given the second chance, goes to the king of Nineveh. Some fear, trembling on pagan ground, this commission started in the royal throne of heaven, God commissions. The word came. Do you see that? What is God doing with Nineveh? God gives Jonah in his heart and mind the message for the Ninevites. The Lord cares about the nations. He's involved. Sovereignty is that he he calls the wind. Like Jesus calmed the storm, right? Peace be still. God also creates the storm. Jonah took off, the Lord hurled the gale, the storm on the sea. Jonah's God is the God of heaven and earth. He's the same God that rules today over the nations, over the climate, over everything we see and experience. We need to know that. He's not just your flavor. He's not just, this is true for me, this is my little God, my little deity, this is what we do He's the God of all the earth. Second thing I want you to see is that this text shows us that disobedience to God's call results in calamity. We're not prophets of God, but it's true for us, right? Did Jonah actually believe he could escape the presence of the Lord? It says it twice. Did the prophet believe he could get away from God? No, and maybe no, look at verse 9 when, he's, when the storm's there and all the sailors are like, get up, get up, who are you? What God do you serve? He says in verse 9, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. His own confession, this is the work of the Lord. I know who he is. He's the God of all the earth. Jonah is not confused. Jonah knows he can't get away from God's sovereignty and rule and reign, but he's hoping maybe if he can get as far away as possible from the calling of God on his own life. Right? God owns it all, but maybe I can get out of earshot from the calling and the commission of this great task of going to those people, the Ninevites. Interesting, in Isaiah sixty-six nineteen, 19, it lists a couple of cities, Tarshish being one of them, and it says... This is one of the places that Yahweh, the Lord, has named, has not been named. The gospel hasn't, uh, the, the mission work hasn't gotten there yet. So he says, I'm going there. <laughs> I'm going to hide out there. They don't even know about Yahweh there. No one's going to question my, prophets, my, my being a prophet, my calling. What am I doing? I'll get there as fast as I can. God, he knows God reigns, but he hopes he can get away from His calling. Feudal. Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, that's in the depth, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the earth, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me can get out of the presence of the Lord. And Jonah tries, and the results are devastating. One commentator says this, Jonah's destination was westward, but from the time he rose up, he began to descend. Did you see the contrast in language? If you, if you could read it in, in the Hebrew Bible, you would see it really stark, but you can see it in English too. Listen to what it says. Listen to the... the, the The directional language. The Lord came came from above. He called to Jonah to arise, to get up. Why? Because the evil of Nineveh had risen up to him. He calls to Jonah up. Jonah gets up. Everything's going up. He's getting up. And then what happens? Jonah goes down to Joppa. Then Jonah goes down into the boat and a few verses later Jonah goes down to the inner parts of the boat and then Jonah lays down on the bench all of it foreshadowing what Jonah's going down in the depths in the belly of the whale in the depths of despair even the sailors come to him and say up arise call out but Jonah's what in his heart he's already he's already going down Is going down. The only alternative to living in God's presence and embracing the Lord's calling in your life is chaos and death. Did you hear that? The only alternative to embracing God's calling on your life, and it is challenging. It is challenging to walk in faith and obedience in the various circumstances we're given. Challenging. It takes immense courage. Each Christian is called to live it out in immense courage. But the only alternative to that leads to down and down and down, chaos and death, despair. Disobedience doesn't work when you feel the prompting, the calling of God in your life, follow. Follow. Even if you resist, resist like Moses, don't say no way. Calamity awaits. He's the sovereign of all the earth. We see disobedience results in calamity. Finally, the grace and mercy of God is beyond our comprehension. Let you just sit with that phrase. It's beyond our comprehension. If you're a Christian today, you're saved by grace. It's the, it's the the unmerited favor, you know. Mercy's getting what you don't, you know, not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve, something like that. Um, but to really understand the mercy and the grace of God is unfathomable to our hearts. The God of Jonah is wild. He's wild. He's he's imaginative. All the the plays on the book of Jonah and all the the, the best in literature, they're just riffing on the real thing. (laughs) That God's the creator. He's imaginative. He's telling children's stories that are true. The text doesn't tell us yet why Jonah doesn't go to Nineveh, but that he flees from the presence of the Lord, but I'm going to give you a little bit here. The backdrop to this whole scene is 2 Kings 14, verse 23 to 27. I should have given you that to put on the screen, but you can listen to it. I'm going to butcher some names, but just bear with me. Um, This is 2 Kings 14. This is speaking about the northern kingdom. Remember, Israel uh, was divided. Southern kingdom is Judah. The northern kingdom is Israel. Just listen to this. It's the last point here. In the 15th year of Amaziah the son of Joash the king of Judah Jeroboam the son of Joash this is Jeroboam the second king of the northern tro- northern of Israel the north began to reign in Samaria and he reigned for 41 years the king of Israel and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord he did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam that's his father the son of Nebat which he made Israel and he made Israel to sin King of Israel, followed in his father's footsteps of wickedness. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amati, the prophet, who was from Gath Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was so very bitter. But there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So the Lord saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Did you hear that? The king of Israel, Jonas, Jonas King. Did evil, wickedness in the sight of the Lord. And Lord looked, looked around and there was no one to help. And Jonah got to be the prophet of salvation. And the Lord saved Israel through the wicked Jeroboam. Jonah had seen this before. He, know, he knows God is gracious. But surely not the Ninevites. Not that cruel, wicked, godless, shameless, the Ninevites. Even God has to have limits, right? Jonah knows that prophecies are conditional. What does that mean? It means the prophet gives the word, and if the people would repent, God just might relent of disaster and judgment. Not in for that. (laughs) I heard the word. I know how this works. I've seen this before. Not with those people. We're the covenant people. Not with them. They're the pagans. God is far more radically gracious and merciful than we know. Think on that for a bit. Verse 4 says this. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. At this point, the situation seems terrible, doesn't it? Jonah fled. Jonah's going down. Now the sea. Now the sailors are mad. Now everyone's afraid. Jonah knows the end's coming. Raging. But God intervened, didn't he? God intervened with Nineveh. It was harsh. It was going to be judgment, if not repentance. Jonah flees, and God doesn't say, go for it, good luck to you, God intervenes. But he does it in a storm. He does it in chaos. He does it in fear. Doesn't look good for Jonah. Well, we know the story, right? I mean, we can't see in the middle of the storm, we can't see the purposes of in the wisdom of God. We don't know what he's doing. We don't know what he's up to. It looks like a calamity. It looks like a trial. It looks overwhelming. It looks like evil winds, And yet, we said, first point, he's the sovereign Lord over all the earth. A caution to withhold judgment. To be careful not to judge the intent or to anticipate the outcome of, because we know Jonah, the storm led to him being thrown overboard, led to a whale, led to a prayer of desperation, a cry for help, led to being spit out on dry land, led to being recommissioned a second time to fulfill his calling. There's no storm, there's no salvation for Jonah. Life with God is messy. <laughs> and unclear, and we don't know, and we have questions, and we fear, and we doubt, and we worry, and we stress, and it becomes crippling to us. We don't know what the Lord is doing. But I'll say this, that the storm and the, 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 the bottomless pit of the deep black ocean for us is the, nothing but the mercy and grace of God. We fall, but we fall further and further and further into grace. His grace and mercy is not bound by our imagination or by our thoughts. His grace is so radical it undoes us. It surprises us. That's the nature of grace: is it catches us off guard. Jonah caught us off guard by fleeing, and the Lord catches Jonah off guard by coming after him with a storm. Leave me alone. The Lord loves him too much. And he loves us too much. Maybe we should ask, maybe you should ask, in the storm, what's the Lord up to? Let's withhold judgment. What is God doing in your life right now, in the trial, in the storm, in the uncertainty? Can't you just make it better? Maybe he's up to more than you imagined. Be careful with your conclusions, for who is a God like ours? Well, Jonah is, uh, the story is, is throughout the Gospels. The Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic Gospels all have this story that, that, that the people want a sign from Jesus that he is, that he is uh, who he says he is, the Messiah, and he won't give him the sign. He won't give him a sign. He said, I, I, Jesus says, I'm not going to play that game He says this, but just as as good as Jonah was dead in the belly of the whale and brought back to life, so Jesus be dead in the belly of the earth and raised to resurrection life. In our trials and our struggles, our fears and our doubts, the end game for us is the path of Jesus, which is the path of Resurrection. We descend in disobedience, he descended voluntarily, so that he could be raised to new life, so that now our storms and our descent can be redeemed. So now we can stare at the storm and we can face it, we don't have to run, we can trust and say, hmm, I've seen this before. My life is now hidden in Christ. Jonah flees and God pursues. May we know the grace and mercy of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active, that it is stronger than a double edged sword. Thank you that you are not contained in some certain area but you rule all the earth. Thank you, God, that we can learn the lessons of those before us, like Jonah, that disobedience is deadly. And thank you, though, we have no idea. Thank you that your grace and mercy extends far beyond our own imagination. Thank you that you come after us that you relentlessly pursue us, and that, God, you redeem us. May we trust you. Amen.